This is episode number 41 of the Beard of Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Find new episodes, of course, every Monday morning at thebeardofmarketers.com slash podcast and iTunes for all of you iPhone, iPad, you know, MacBook users. And we got a good lineup of things to talk about. What are you drinking, though, before we get started? Tonight, I am drinking a Presbyterian, Jack Daniels, Gosling's, send us a check. Uh, and some <laughs> lemon juice in there. I'm doing the exact same thing. Nice. So let's run down the, through the topics. What are we doing tonight? All right. So tonight we're going to be covering homepage design as you're stuck in 1999, Facebook being sued, what implications that has, and should we be angry or not, duplicate content, something that we hear a lot about causes people to stay up late at night and shiver with fear. So we're going to cover what is coming directly from the horse's mouth and what we need to keep in mind. Lastly, actually, we're going to keep the last topic a secret, and you'll have to stay tuned to see what that's about. (laughs) If you have an idea for a topic, call us at 904-270-9603. Rob mans the phone 24-7. Even if it's a family event or whatever, excuse me, I got a call on the line. Exactly. (laughs) Got to answer it. Um, Or if there's something you're struggling with and you'd like us to cover it on the uh, show, give us a call. But again, let's go ahead and get cracking to it. So first things first, homepage design. This was actually prompted to, we got actually a couple of projects that we're working on with partners related to homepage design, but also Rand over at Moz posted up a video the other day talking about how in the new year you might need to reassess what are the goals and design cues that your homepage might need to have and how that's really evolved over time. So I thought it was a good discussion piece, at least to think through and Am I an offender? Does our homepage need to have some different goals? What do we need to keep in mind? And I do know that at least one of the points that we're going to cover, we've talked about in the past, but I think it bears mention again. So in particular, a couple, and we'll tweet out a link and post over to the video so you can watch it if you want. Yeah, for anyone not familiar, Whiteboard Fridays, I think are what they're called over at Moz.com on their blog. Um, Some great videos they post every uh, Friday and just cover a wider variety of topics. Obviously, this one's about homepage, but usually it's about SEO or other random things. Just great videos they catch every every Friday. Mm -hmm. A couple of the points that I thought he made that, again, I think people need to pay a little bit more attention to is that a homepage be visually compelling. Now, I think a lot of people really drop the ball on having good, effective designs. And I feel like really for some of the content providers out there in our space, there's almost a dismissive attitude towards like good design. Being too artsy is going to cause people like not to convert or like having too good of a design is actually a negative impact in conversion, which I just don't really agree with. I mean, there's obviously a certain point where you're getting Lady Gaga abstract and I don't really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But there is a time and a place for good design. I think that's really most of the time, if not all the time, uh, because it bears in a mark of quality and a lot of different things. But one of the marks he specifically said is now that we have evolved in design on the web and the resources now are very easily obtainable to get fairly decent designs that people have come to expect that. You know, I would say that also kind of ties into the psychology of we're an easily distracted people and... Maybe that's been all throughout history. Maybe the distractions have been just different. But now with the advent of the internet and and different things that are involved in our life, I feel like a good compelling design is important because we're just one distraction away from kind of changing our mind. And having that impactful design 
those cool little features about your site and just a compelling story is something that becomes more and more essential as time goes on. Yeah, I think you touched on a good point there, which was sort of that people have come to expect it. And I think web design, like anything else that has anything to do with design or fashion or anything like that, goes through cycles and periods of time where things change and whatever. And right now, it seems as if we're in this time where good design on the web is very important. People are using lots of graphics, lots of pictures and images and bright colors and large fonts and Everything looks great, well, at least to us now, because that's the cycle we're in. People are coming to expect that now because it's not just the big brands doing that. Everyone can do that Mm -hmm. and has the ability to do that. I mean, even with just the proliferation of frameworks and templates, and Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's so easy to make a homepage or a website in general look good. Everyone expects that. So I think that's a huge part of this is just that people expect a certain level of design on a homepage. And if you don't have that, it's, you know... I'm really I'm willing to write you off because why aren't you at the certain level that virtually everyone else is at? Right. And I think that the negative of not having a visually compelling homepage or just site in general bears itself out in a couple uh, ways. You know, one, I might be more willing to just leave like this doesn't look very good. Right. I don't know where to go or this doesn't look very quality. And it can also affect how you might be able to price your good or service. If your site is terrible you know, hopefully I have some past experience or someone has talked you up enough, but it can cause some sticker shock if your product is actually pretty expensive, but your website does not reflect that. It's kind of almost like car shopping. Yeah. That's what I was actually thinking while you were saying that. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, like I, <laughs> what actually comes to mind is how expensive sometimes Volvos can be, right. but from a design standpoint, they're not the most visually striking vehicles. Now, Granted, they've done a pretty good job at marketing some other features that they have, but having a good, compelling design can affect how much people are potentially willing to pay for your product because of the non-verbally communicated cues you've given them about your product or service. Right. Well, the web has matured to a point where, just like any other product, like you mentioned cars, it's the amount of effort you put into the design You know, mm-hmm. speaks to everything else, right? Sure. I mean, if you don't have a well-designed, your website doesn't look good, I assume customer service probably isn't great either, and or your product probably isn't great. So it's a reflection of everything. So keep that in mind. Now, to parlay into something that often comes up when you are designing striking homepages is oftentimes there's a political battle within to get real estate on homepage. And not just necessarily that you have marketing and sales and all these internal departments that are trying to get in on the homepage, but sometimes as a website owner or a business owner, you get a little bit greedy with how many things you want to put up on the homepage because you think of all these questions or things that people could possibly want. So what better place than the homepage to just fill up the um, the space? Almost like a Tetris game. They we're trying to fill up every single gap of empty space with all these things. And it really loses the embodiment of having a very striking homepage, but also having a clear and succinct message. You know, right. your, in my opinion, your homepage should be an efficient traffic router, but also the initial mark of like, what is your value proposition or what are you trying to communicate as a message as your company, but you're not trying to necessarily have this diarrhea of like content all over the place because I'm trying to efficiently understand where I need to go. And it doesn't necessarily have to be 
every link possible on your site to every content page. It's okay to lead me down a path. What's important is you need to create a compelling homepage for me to want to continue. And I do feel like one of the things that has been trending lately, which I'm kind of glad to see is companies are understanding that people are willing to scroll. So they're not trying to fit 100 things above the fold on their homepage or content pages because that's what they think only people care about. Now, the fold is pretty important because it's first impressions, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you need to put in a hundred things just to get attention in that area. And not to mention, I mean, this is something that is sort of sidetracked here, but the fold in and of itself is not something that really exists anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, with all the different available platforms and resolutions and and massive ones and small ones, I mean, the fold as a construct, you don't know where that even exists anymore. So you can't really use that as your rule of thumb, I need everything above the fold because you don't know really know where it is for a lot of people. I've often felt that it was a dated concept anyways, even yeah. going years back. If you create a compelling message, people are willing to read on. So we're going to post a link of this video. I think he outlines some really good points that you need to maybe make an internal checklist for yourself. Really evaluate your homepage, maybe print it out. Rob really likes printing things out and having like a visual representation and getting your red pen out, seeing what needs to go, what needs to stay and also what maybe needs an overhaul has our design really dated ourselves and potentially causing us to become less competitive or like we were talking about before maybe negatively impacting how we can price our goods or how much people are valuing our product or service so keep that in mind i think it's a great video especially given the new year let's take a a hard look at what is our first impression on our homepage? Moving right along, getting our lawyer friends involved, Facebook getting sued. I think that's a weekly endeavor, or if not daily. <laughs> What's the what, what with that? Yeah, so, I mean, the fact that they're getting sued is just sort of a small part of this bigger picture that I think explains a lot of other things. But so the situation, I think, with this latest lawsuit is essentially that inside private messages, if you're familiar with Facebook, if you send a private message to someone, if you include a link in that message... Facebook is actually scanning those messages, looking for links, and counting those as if they were thumbs-up likes on those URLs. So if you were sending a message to your friend about this great podcast you listen to, The Beard Marketers, then that would actually count as a like towards our Facebook presence. Yeah, exactly. So the suit is basically claiming that, okay, in the name of messages, they're called private messages, yet you are scanning them and sort of publicly... I mean, you're not linking it back to me, but you're counting things that I'm saying inside private messages in terms of for public people. And people get access to some of that information when you, you know, pay for ads on Facebook Mm -hmm. as well. You get number of likes and and all those sorts of things. So basically just it's a lawsuit against Facebook about claim these things are private, but they're actually not. So does the article talk about that if I were to create like a remarketing campaign that those people are now lumped into that campaign it doesn't say in there quite yet i think this is still kind of kind of a new thing and i think uh, facebook is sort of i think they've come out and said that this is true but Mm. they don't think it's a, a violation of anything so but i think the main point of all of this though is that i think this points to a couple things number one is that i mean social media is so important that even so much as things like you sending private messages that include links are affecting social media of companies out there, right? I mean, potentially even affecting rankings of companies out there. It's it's just another one of those little pieces of the puzzle that affects internet marketing on the whole. And I think this maybe points to what are some of the other examples of things that we're doing? Like if I Gmail 
send an email to you with a link in it? Is Gmail potentially doing something with that to count in terms of rankings or popularity of a website? It makes sense that they would now. Or, you know, even taking the negative side of things, like as a domain racks up spam complaints or things like that within Gmail, does that also affect their standings in organic search results? Because we've seen that your marketing practices seem to have some nefarious things going on, does our domain trust in you also become shaken as well? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I don't see why, in a sort of theory point of view, why they wouldn't um, do that sort of thing. I mean, then it sort of introduces the whole, well, I could send emails on behalf of you and get (laughs) spam complaints and then try to get you burned. I mean, but beyond all that, I mean, I think it makes sense in terms of looking at as many factors as possible. And if we have access, like Facebook does, to the data and private messages, why wouldn't they use that information to get a better understanding of what is actually popular on Facebook? And for the people suing over this and complaining about, oh, Facebook's scanning our messages. Well, let's be realistic here. You are sending your private messages to a third party company right. i mean what do you really really expect yeah, i guess it goes back to the expectation of privacy that people have right which sometimes might be a little delusional shouldn't have any on a social <laughs> network first we're being social um, really on the internet in general right exactly if you're if you're posting anything to a third party carlos changer we're looking at you <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, so, so it'll yeah. be interesting to see how that shakes out. You know, I think it's probably going to net net maybe result in a terms and services update update, which I'm sure the internet will be a fire for about six hours about, and then people will continue their lives as usual. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to kind of see that some of the data mining that people do and how people react to it. I, I do think that that's maybe what's pushing some of the companies like Google to get a little bit more ahead of some of this, like the encrypting search data which has caused us to lose out on some of the seo and keyword information and things like that i think that some of these companies are understanding that the customer tide is potentially turning and people are starting to value some privacy and so i think that some of them are hedging their bets on do we need to get a little bit ahead of this and show people oh we look out for your privacy Mm -hmm. don't worry we'll be interesting to see what happens with that speaking of spam there was a video earlier in december which was actually a retouch of an old video. And if you're not familiar with who Matt Cutts is, basically he runs one of the policy teams at Google and is in charge with destroying people's dreams and hopes <laughs> on the internet. And he's really the guy that heads up the teams that will typically get you delisted from Google in particular. And they head up the spam department. One of the things that I feel like for many people, including myself back in the day, was this notion of duplicate content. So if you're a marketer or you run a website and you're kind of interested in SEO, you've at least heard of duplicate content and and what do I need to do about it? And there's a lot of theories around it. There's a lot of conjecture. But he was asked some very specific questions on divulging some more information on what kind of efforts that website owners, companies need to take to avoid duplicate content penalties because right. a lot of people... Not a lot, but some people have been assessed duplicate content penalties, or there's been rumors of maybe I have duplicate content, that's what's affecting my rankings. So, Mr. Cuts, what effort should we take? And it was a pretty good video. I think what more than anything is people need to realize that search engines are actually pretty smart. I mean, just the task of what they perform is immensely complex. The amount of just science and engineering 
and knowledge that went into building Google, Yahoo, and MSN is crazy. The amount of information that it parses, how good they are at doing that, making the connections, amazing. And so he, he kind of starts at, and it's maybe a little bit of a brag session, but us say it's Google, when we take a step back, 30 to 35% of the internet is duplicate content. Mm-hmm. There's duplicate content everywhere. And so if we took a wide brush and just painted duplicate content in general as being bad, then we would wreck the internet and, and how that would rank in our service. And he specifically said, honestly, it would probably hurt the reputation of Google and how good our results were if we did take that kind of action. So he said, first and foremost, Please don't take it as Google penalizes all duplicate content or it would really affect the service that we would provide because that's a lot of what the Internet is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he went through and kind of said that we understand when people quote things and use duplicate content, even within their own sites, that's going to happen. And we understand that. However, he did say that with that, that doesn't mean that you need not to be careful of it. And he said in particular, what they tend to look for is if your site is copying wide swaths of other content that they're finding other places, that is when they start raising some eyebrows on why essentially is that happening. But he did insinuate that that comes under some manual review because there are some services where duplicate content is going to be the lifeblood and happen all the time. You know, particularly things like news sites. I mean, mm-hmm. they all yeah. use the same wires. And so they're essentially just regurgitating the same information. There just might be, you know, some changes here and there. But they said, you know, you want to be careful if your whole site is based on just content mining and just copying what other people have, then you're probably going to be at risk because they see very little value sometimes in how that's performed. So he did also take some steps to explain what are some websites that really need to be careful of that and what might get you burned? I think what it also does is reassure you that duplicate content, again, is going to happen. And just making sure that your efforts aren't necessarily nefarious or you're doing some keyword stuffing or things like that. Or another good example he said is a lot of companies have this idea that more content is better. And so what they've created is maybe automated pages that are templated out. Maybe it's you're searching on a city basis and you're just auto-ginning pages Mm -hmm. for city results that always come back as zero. And the content is also very similar. They said that that will also get you burned for duplicate content. Because again, it's not really providing any value. You're just churning out these template pages with the same content over and over and over again from a experience of people using Google that looks bad on them because they're serving up these contents that are really meaningless to people. So he said, watch the template services out there where you might just be looking to gin out content for all these geolocations or whatever it might be and how that can get you burned. Yeah, I think it really just like everything else, I think at this point with SEO, it it amounts to common sense Mm -hmm. in that duplicate content has been one of those things that people have been paranoid about for years. And I've always taken the approach that has sort of been validated here by Matt Cutts. And that is that what you think is probably duplicate content, the fact that you just have a few sentences repeated across your site, (laughs) that's not a problem. That means nothing. I mean, there are large sites all across the internet that do that. There is use in that. That's not a big deal. It's, you know, like you mentioned, it's those hugely template-driven sites that are there probably to game Google in the first place. Right, exactly. And that's what they're looking out for. And and it's not so much that it's 
duplicate content. I mean, that is the problem. It's just that it's junk content. That's really what it is. And it's just the fact that it is duplicated that they, they call it that. But right. for most people, duplicate content's not an issue unless you're doing it to game Google in some way. It's not going to be an issue. It's not something that you need to be worrying about. And I wish people would stop. That's like one, it's one of the top three things people ask me about SEO oh, is like, oh, is this an example of duplicate content? Or what do you think about doing this? Or, you know, an e-commerce site. Oh, can we have this paragraph Products repeated page. across right. some category pages? Is that, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It, usually it's fine unless right. you're doing something to game on have purpose. Have smart people working there. Right. You'll be fine. Right. So basically, I think that's the takeaway. Again, I would say if you're one of the ones that is a put your hands up to your face like Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone and scream about duplicate content, take a look at this video. I think it might rest assure some of your fears. But it is also good to the inside perspective on how Google handles that and things to be weary of and potentially also confirm maybe you are an offender and there's some things that you need to maybe change about your tactics internally that an SEO firm, I say that in air quotes, has told you will bring you some good results but could also mean that you're at risk of being burned as well so take a look at it but keeping under the seo umbrella there was an article on moz i would say it's more of a case study actually yeah of a company that was struggling with seo i believe it was one of the more recent updates really hurt their site right. post penguin one of those mm-hmm. yeah that um, their organic traffic just severely dropped off. It wasn't really recovering. They took a lot of steps, hired some writers. They were ginning out a lot of content. And it really wasn't, you know, making a significant change in the overall scheme of things. And so they took the drastic step of actually combining two of their sites into one domain and actually scrapping, I guess scrapping might not be the best word, but they moved a lot of their content to a secondary domain that was actually not branded as their company's main domain Mm -hmm. and how that actually provided some SEO benefit to their company. Now, as we kind of discussed before, the jury is still out on that. The data sample that they provided was quite small, but it did provide an interesting case, especially if they follow up with that on what measures you might want to take if you've noticed that over time or coinciding with one of these major search engine updates, your site has been damaged one of the tactics that you might want to potentially consider. Because like the company outlines, you can try to repair the domain, take some steps on trying to get it back. But at the end of the day, you might be spending a lot of time and money and salary and time and new content, whatever it might be, or marketing efforts, when you might be better served at maybe starting over or looking to transfer to a different property. Yeah, combining moving domains has been one of those things I've had a lot of experience with over the last few years. It's been a powerful SEO method and spammers have taken huge advantage of it. Get a domain, buy a bunch of get them info old, domains. Yeah, old <laughs> smaller domain names and just point them all to one and get a bunch of Google juice pointing to one domain. It lasts for a while, hit or miss, you know, whatever happens. But I've worked with large companies who've had large networks of websites, mm-hmm. helping them combine them around topics. Close down a bunch, let's move them over to one, let's move them to your main domain, all these sorts of things. Similar, you know, what they're talking about in this case study. And yes, it obviously works. Now, like you said in their case study, I think they had like a week after they had done the move and here's like, look, it's amazing, it works. It does work. Their case studies, the jury's still out. But it is something to look into. If you, It just points to Google's larger issue with, they want authority sites, they want Mm -hmm. one large site. They don't want you to have 10 small ones that are all trying to rank for very specific niche things. 
You want one large brand website that can rank for everything. That It's a brand you can trust. All your links point to that one. That's just what they're looking for. So yeah, it definitely helps in certain situations. And again, we'll tweet out that link. If you've been struggling, you feel like your organic has really dropped off. It might be a result of penalties. Maybe it's just a result of just increased competition. But this might be a tactic you might want to look at or how you position your company. It will take some effort, especially if you're very brand heavy mm-hmm. on how you migrate and communicate that process without losing people. But at the end of the day, if it's to gain significant traffic sources, dropping off some people might be worth in the grand scheme of things. So last thing, this is the secret topic (laughs) we wanted to talk about was one of the things that we've been exploring lately has been subscription services, in particular, monthly subscription boxes. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you lead on that since you've been exploring them a little bit more than I have. Yeah, it's just a new trend that I think is blowing up right now. It's an interesting take on the sort of wine of the month, cheese of the month Mm -hmm. type clubs. They're now being packaged up with multiple small products inside of them, ranging from, you know, I don't know, 10 or 20 a month all the way up to a few hundred. They're across all sorts of different niches. And I think it's just an interesting way to take a spin on that model. And some of the cheaper ones have even spun it even further and that they're actually samples for other products. So which, things like Birchbox. Right. So th- I think that's an example. And I don't know if, if this is specifically the case with them, though, that these companies are paying a company like a Birchbox mm-hmm. to get their samples in the package. And consumers are then paying the Birchbox as well to get the package. So it's like the perfect middleman getting, getting paid on both <laughs> ends to send out these samples to people who are more than happy to be advertised mm-hmm. to. They're basically paying to be advertised to. So I, I think it's just a really interesting model. Like you said, I've been researching. I've, I've got a few different ones in there. Well, you gave me a Mantry over Christmas, yeah. which was really awesome. Yeah, Mantry is a great one if you're looking for sort of interesting culinary items, I guess you could put it. Like you said, Birchbox is another one that's huge right now on the female front because the social media blows up with that stuff. Oh, I mean, yeah. that is another huge angle with these subscription models. And I think it's another reason why they've blown up recently so much mm-hmm. is because they leverage that social media. People get those boxes. They look cool. They have cool products in them. People post pictures with their Birchbox hashtag yeah, on it. I think that's actually been what's been driving a lot of it too is like there's a <clears throat> obviously visual component to mm-hmm. it. So my wife has Birchbox. I had the Mantry over Christmas. And Mantry definitely goes to the, probably because it's a little bit more expensive, but it's much more visually appealing. It's not just wine of the month and you just get this box full of wine. It's like an experience. You get Mm -hmm. this wooden crate and all these things and it's packaged really cool. And I think that the visual component of it tied in with the explosion of visually oriented social media channels, things like Instagram and things like that really help fuel some of these services, but also just how everyone has to narrate every possible moment of their life nowadays through social media has definitely helped. But I think that maybe there's also some cultural changes that are help fueling these as well, particularly looking at Mantry and Birchbox. As people culturally have gotten busier and busier with their work and how busy their lives can be always connected to work we're putting a lot more hours statistically in our jobs i think that sometimes we don't have as much time to do some of these discovery things so having services like this are not only appealing because they're cool looking or we get a delivery to our door which is always great it's like christmas when the Mm -hmm. ups man comes but It also helps us as consumers that have less and less time to do some of this discovery, find some things that we like, 
and be pleasantly surprised in our life, whereas we don't have time for that anymore. It's just like a nice surprise, and it's a good experience on all these different things I might not have known about. So it's definitely an interesting model, and I think that there is some definite benefits to that. I've always been a fan of subscription models from a profit and a business model, not (laughs) necessarily from an end consumer, but I think that it's a good model for businesses to take into consideration. Yeah, and like you said, the perfect environment right now, especially with the explosion of the Instagrams Mm -hmm. of the world, I think those are only going to get more and more popular over time. I mean, right now, if you just Google subscription boxes, they're everywhere. There's tons. There's website reviews that talk about all of the the popular ones that are all over the map. I mean, they literally cover every niche category you could ever imagine. If you have an interest, I'm sure there's a a subscription box that covers it. So I think that's it for tonight. Anything else you want to talk about? I think that's good. So that's been episode number 41 of the Bearded Marketers. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. Have a topic for us to discuss. Give us a call. Like I said, Rob mans the phone 24-7, and we'll be waiting for your calls. But also, if you're struggling with something, we do help out people quite a bit. We have a lot of experience in the industry, so give us a call. Again, it's 904-270-9603. If you're struggling with something bosses yelling at you you don't really know where to turn then just give us a call and if we don't know how to help you out then we have a lot of contacts as well so i'm sure we can find someone that can give you some aid but that's going to be it so we'll see you next week